Welcome to Glory to Glory, the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Today, Pastor Joe Pettick will be teaching from the book of James, chapter 1. Join us now in our study as we open the Word together. James, chapter 1. This morning we're going to be talking about spiritual maturity, you know, growing up spiritually. And I remember when I was in uh, sixth grade, our history teacher, he was the coach for the track team and and I was overweight and all. I, you know, I wasn't in good shape or anything in sixth grade. I was, you know, kind of chunky and all. And uh, the coach came up to me after class and he says, "Hey, Joe, I want you to try out for the team. I want you to, you know, we have our first practice after school, and I, I want you to be part of the team." And I kind of thought, you know, what does he see? You know, I don't, you know, I didn't see, you know, a track star, but, uh, but I showed up for practice, and and at that time, you know. He asked that we'd all go around the block, the school, one time. It was a pretty big block, and he says, you know, I want you to go around the block one time, one complete time. And it was a pretty good distance. And he said, if you're not used to running long distance and all, he says, you might, you know, experience some pain in your side. And he said, you know, after, if you just, you know, keep pushing forward. When you feel the pain in your side, just keep pushing, keep going forward. And he said, you know, most likely it's just going to go away, and, you know, you'll be all right. You won't die out there, so just keep pushing, you know. So sure enough, I was halfway around the block, and my, my side started, you know, getting painful. I was like, oh, man, my, you know, I was feeling like I wanted to stop. But I remember what the coach said. He, you know, I expected it. So I pushed forward, and sure enough, it went away. I made it. It was difficult, but I made it around, you know, the track. And then, you know, that was the first day. And then, the, you know, the second day, he increased the length. And after a while, we were running up and down the, the stairs, and then we were doing all kinds of, you know, different things to... To, you know, to get endurance. But, you know, I, I ended up, you know, joining the team and I, you know, did pretty good. And I loved track. I ended up playing, you know, in the, on the track team for, I think, you know, a good two years and all. But it wasn't easy. You know, I had to work at it. I had to mature as a, as a runner, but I needed to mature as a runner. And the Christian walk, you know, it's not an easy walk. It's not like, you know, sometimes people will, you know, give you the wrong impression that, oh, you become a Christian, it's just going to be so glorious and so wonderful. It's always going to just going to be like a, a smooth road, but it's not a, a smooth road. We're going to have trials, and we're to go through those trials, and we're to mature, we're to, to grow from them. And I believe one of the biggest problems in the church today could very well be spiritual immaturity. And, and the church becomes like a playpen for babies, instead of a workshop for adults to grow in the things of God. Our fleshly nature, our human nature, we, we, we fight correction. We don't want to be corrected. That's like, what are you, you correcting me? Or I, I don't want to be corrected. We, we fight the correction, but the correction is for us. It's that we would become mature. So I, I believe that. I believe that, you know, that's a big problem in the church. There could be that spiritual immaturity, and, and nobody wants to grow up. No one wants to be challenged, but we need that. We need to grow up. Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he said, when I was a child, 
I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. He says, I even thought as a child, but he says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. And there comes a point, you know, in the Christian walk where we need to put away those childish things. We need to say, no, it's childish. I'm not to do that. So we're going to be looking at that here in our text. But before we even look at our text, since it's a a new book and all we're going into, uh, the epistle of James, and I just want to do a, a little introduction to it. The author of this letter is believed to be James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, if you know the story, you know, James and his other brothers, they did not come to, to faith in Jesus Christ during Jesus' earthly ministry. Could you imagine that? Your own brothers. They didn't believe him. But in 1 Corinthians, this is pretty neat. You might want to just make a side note. 1 Corinthians 15, 7, it tells us that Jesus Christ personally visited James after he rose from the dead. Could you imagine that visitation? Personally. I want to see the DVD of that when we get to heaven. <laughs> it's like, you know, think about that. Jesus shows up and says, hey, bro. <laughs> Could you imagine that? I believe James probably at that point just fell right on his knees and said, Lord, my God and my Savior. We don't have all the details. We'll, we'll get the details when we get to heaven. But this man had a personal visitation from Jesus Christ after he rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 7. And not only did James become a believer, but he became the leader in the early church. That visitation changed his whole life, and he says, I'm in. I'm changed. Lord, change me. And he became the leader. He was radically changed. Tradition tells us that James was a great man of prayer. We're going to learn that as we go through this epistle, that he talks a lot about prayer. He was a man of prayer so much so that his knees were calloused from the, all the time he'd spend on his knees. And his nickname, this is, you know, tradition tells us, his nickname was Old Camel Knees. <laughs> it's true. He had the scars, he had the, you know, calluses on his knees to prove that he was just a man of prayer. And I don't, I don't you know, suggest you go around, you know, showing everybody your knees and say, hey, you know, I'm a man of prayer. No, I don't think it was like that at all. They just knew this man was a man of prayer. Tradition also tells us, secular history, you know, it's, you can read about this, but it tells us that he was martyred in A.D. 62 for his faith in Jesus Christ. That the Pharisees in Jerusalem so hated this man James because he had such a powerful testimony that they wanted to kill him, and they did kill him. They threw him off the temple, and that didn't kill him, so they, they threw stones at him, and then they clubbed him to death for his faith in Jesus Christ. Tradition also tells us that as he died, he prayed for his murderers and said the same thing Jesus said at the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the man that wrote this. One last thing before we look into our text. I love this book because it's probably one of the most practical books in the whole Bible. It's like, you know, the how-to of Christian life. So it's very practical And it's going to talk about being mature. So let's go ahead and look at our text here again. The epistle of James, chapter 1, verse 1. And James says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are scattered abroad, greetings. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but if I was the half-brother of Jesus Christ, 
and the main leader in the church, I think I would have mentioned it in, somewhere in this letter. Don't you? I think I might have possibly, I might have put that right at the beginning. James, the leader of the church. By the way, brother of Jesus Christ. Now listen, when he doesn't do that, he says a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think as we're talking about maturity, that's a, there's some maturity here, not to boast in yourself, not to lead people to you, but to lead people to Jesus. Maturity. When you gave your life to the Lord, when I gave my life to the Lord, I hope you said a prayer that says, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. That means you signed something basically and said, I relinquish all rights to my life that belongs to you. Take over. Bondservant. You lead. You guide. You direct. My life doesn't belong to me anymore. This one verse is so powerful. This is James, the main leader of the church. He could have written, James, the leader. But he says, no, the servant. Bond slave of Jesus Christ. I belong to Christ. He paid for me. I want to encourage you as I encourage myself to allow the Lord Jesus to be master. Allow the Lord Jesus to take over. Allow him to. You see, when you let him sit on the throne of your life, he leads, he guides, he directs, he gives us direction that we have need of. And he does that if you allow him to. But many times, and I find myself doing this, I'll take the throne back or I'll, I'll sit on the throne of my life again and I'll say, okay, great job, Jesus. You got me this far. I'll take over right from here. And I fall on my face and I mess up. And it gets worse to worse and it gets 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 worse until I call on to him again and ask him to take the throne of my life again. And I become a bondservant of Jesus Christ. That's maturity. Not bragging in ourselves. That shows spiritual immaturity. You know, you have others just, you know, that can just brag about this and that and this and that. And our boasting should be in Christ alone. By the grace of God, I stand. I mean, if it's not for Christ, you know, I'm nothing. Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, For who makes you different than another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Everything that we have, it's because of him. Everything that we are is because of him. Every gift and every talent that we have, it's because of Jesus Christ. And we point to him and we say, it's him. I'm a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he writing to? It tells us here the 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. He's, he's writing to the Jewish believers that were scattered because of the heavy persecution, so they had to disperse out. So he's writing them a letter and encouraging them because I'm sure they were you know, pretty discouraged. They had to leave their homes and their families because of their faith, and they're running. They're, they're getting out of there to start a new life, and he's writing them a letter saying, hey, that's okay what you're going through. Count it joy. And that's exactly what he says in the next verse. My brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into various trials, they were falling into heavy trials. They're running for their lives. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Count it all joy. Did you notice it doesn't say if you fall into various trials? It says when. 
I, I wish I could change this right here, right now with the pen and just put, if we have run into various trials, fall into various trials. If, if it happens, okay, it happens. But it says when. And that tells me that each one of us as believers will fall into various trials, will experience troubles, will experience disappointments, will experience temptations, trials. Count it joy. If we believe what Romans 8.28 tells us, then we can count it joy when we have trials. We all know this verse, I'm sure, every one of you, but Romans 8.28, you guys know it? And we know that all things work together for good for those that love God and those that are called according to his purpose. We should all know this. If you don't, please jot that down, memorize that. And you know it doesn't just say all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't just say, you know, it doesn't say that. But it says, and we know that all things work together for good. By faith, we know that everything is going to work together for good. Do you know that? Then do not allow that difficult circumstance to rob you of your joy. It's working together for good. The longer I walk with the Lord... I guess I was hoping that, you know, I get to a point where the Lord says, well, that's it, we're done. You're, you're, you're just, you know, you're, you're doing real good right now, you know. That never happens. He keeps changing us, transforming us. He, he, you know, we go through one thing and he teaches us. And like, wow, that was, wow, Lord, thank you for helping me in this area. And man, I can't believe that you, you've delivered me and helped me and showed me. And I, wow, and then, then we just go to the next one. But it works together for good. All things. Notice it says, count it all joy. That's impossible without faith. The Bible talks about a, the joy of the Lord that's our strength. It also talks about in, in Psalm 16, for in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The enemy of our soul wants to just totally destroy that joy that you and I have because it's so powerful. The joy of the Lord, and we're, we're strengthened by it. And it's so wonderful, joy unspeakable joy that he gives us, the, the joy of our salvation, knowing we're going to heaven, knowing all of our sin is forgiven. And the enemy hates that. So when we have a trial, you know, what the enemy wants us to do is just become overwhelmed and under, you know, under the despair of it and like, oh man, and, and the joy is just gone. But if by faith we look at it through the eyes of faith, we can look at anything that we're going through, any trial, any difficult time and say, God's working it out for good. I count it joy. That's only by faith. I, think I mentioned this a while back, but it's not like, I don't believe it's like this. It's not like you get a flat tire and you get out of your car and say, praise God, this is so, one flat tire. I'm going to be late for work. I'm going to be late. This is, praise the Lord. I don't think, you know, we're to be joyful for that circumstance, but, but we're to be joyful that it's going to work out for good. Lord, okay, here we go. You know, I'm not going to lose my joy. I'm going to change the flat or call AAA and but I, I'm just going to trust somehow this is going to work together for good. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. That word perfect can also be translated mature. Again, trials in our lives are, are going to test us, but they're for us. You can either look at the trial through the eyes of faith and believe that God is working it out for good and grow spiritually or you can become overwhelmed and run away from it and not grow at all. We just 
I talked about this on Tuesday a little bit, but we flew to uh, Texas for a wedding just recently, and, and we had a layover in Salt Lake City. We get off the plane, you know, ready to get on the next plane, and they tell us the plane's canceled. But they wanted to put us on three separate flights. Our group, you know, split us all up, and then there was some other layover, so we weren't going to fly right into Texas. There was going to be another layover, and, and it was frustrating. It's very frustrating. So we prayed, and I'll tell you, though, my natural man wanted to get upset. We're the customer. We paid for the tickets. I, my natural man, I'm just inside. I wanted to get upset. But after we prayed, I realized I had such a peace. This is going to work together for good. This is a test. It's a, a little test that we're going through, but it's going to work together for good. And it took some time, and it was strange because time was going on. I'm just thinking, God's going to work this out. And sure enough, they finally got us all on the same plane. And as I mentioned before, they gave us, you know, food vouchers. And, uh, but I'll tell you, the flight getting to Salt Lake City was so turbulent, and I was so sick. And if I would have went on that plane, I'm almost certain I would have been sick. So I was able to wait there, you know, at the airport for a few hours and feel better, eat a little bit, and I was okay. But I look at that, and I think, well... I was upset inside. I was going to complain. I was going to say, what are you talking? I was going to get, but I look back now. It was a testing of my patience and patience was working in in the whole situation. And I look back and think, wow, God, you had a plan. The trials that we go through are for us. Always. No matter what it is, it's for us. And I believe the next verse goes with that. It says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Don't miss this part. In context here, I believe it's speaking of, it's saying that when you go through this difficult time, when you go through trials, seek the Lord and ask for wisdom. I see too often people just run away from difficult times and they don't seek the Lord. Our human nature wants the quick way out. I don't want trials, right? I don't want to go through that. Where's the door? Get me out of here. And then we don't grow. But if you seek the Lord and ask the Lord, he's going to give you wisdom for that situation, and he's going to show you which way to go and what to do, and you're going to mature, and you're going to grow, and you're going to be blown away how big your God is in the midst of that trial, and you're going to boast in him. I just recently met a man that we were out in the streets witnessing, and he's cussing and swearing and, you know, kind of mocking Christianity. And he says, oh, I used to be a Christian. Did that for many years. Not going back to that. And I said, what happened? He said, well, my wife left me. We are going to church. She cheated on me. That's what Christianity gets you, he said. That's what, that's what God did for me. And he walked away from the church. He walked away from God. Instead of seeking the Lord, he, he walked away from the Lord. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give to, to all generously, liberally. I believe with all my heart if this man would have just sought the Lord and asked the Lord, Lord, what do I do? He might have restored the marriage. Who knows what he would have done? We need wisdom. That word liberally means generously. He gives it to us generously, without reproach. That word reproach is to rail at, 
So he's not going to rail at you. He's not going to get mad at you. He's not going to say, oh, here you are again. You're getting problems again. You're coming to me again. No. He wants us to depend upon him. You may be going through some, some trials, difficult times even today. Discouragements or sickness. And I just want to encourage you. Seek the Lord for wisdom. No, I mean seriously. Seriously, seek the Lord for wisdom. Anyone can take the easy way out. It's easy just to walk out. It's easy to just say, I'm out of here. But what does the Lord say? If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God gives to all generously. Seek him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's a tough, those are some tough verses there. Because <laughs> we all doubt sometimes. We all, you know, go through a phase of, oh, Lord, are you hearing me? Or, oh, but it's an encouragement, actually. Just don't doubt. If God wants to give you wisdom. God wants to give it to you generously. So don't doubt. Just by faith, believe that the Lord's going to give you the wisdom that you need. Verse 9. We're going to do the next three verses. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. That's interesting. I read that when I was a new believer thinking, what does that mean? Let the lowly. I believe it means let the poor person when the Lord blesses him, let him glory in his exaltation. Let, let, let him just be, you know, rejoice in what the Lord's doing. But the rich in his humiliation, possibly meaning if the rich man ends up losing his riches, let, let him glory in that. That's okay. Why? Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. In other words, you can't take it with you. You, you know, you're just going to, you're going to die. It doesn't matter. If you're, it shouldn't be your focus. For no sooner... Has the sun risen with a burning heat, then it withers the grass, its flower fails, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Maturity. If God blesses you, glory in the Lord. If you're going through difficult financial times, still glory in the Lord. Just seek the Lord. But don't be possessed by your possessions. So just a warning there. In closing, I love the story when Jesus was ministering by the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 6. He was there with his disciples, and you, you know the story. Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he saw the multitude coming towards him. Remember that? And I love it. He looks over to Philip, and he says, where are we going to buy the food to feed these people? Remember that? It's a test. And he even says, but this he said to test him. For he himself knew what he was going to do. I love that. So put yourself in Philip's shoes. You, you know, the multitude's coming. You don't have any food. And you're going through the test. Philip could have been totally overwhelmed and says, hey, I'm out of here. I can't feed these guys. But Jesus had the answer. Jesus knew he was going to feed the multitude. 
Jesus knew he was going to multiply the fish. He was going to multiply the loaves. He was going to supernaturally take care of the whole situation. But again, Jesus said this to test him. Are you going to rely on yourself, Philip? Or are you going to rely upon me? Don't think it's strange, the fiery trials that we go through. Hallelujah. are to test us, to test our faith. But let's look to Jesus. Hallelujah. The author and finisher of our faith. Let's look to him. He has the answers. sound of hearts in praise. It's the sound of hearts in praise. You have been listening to Glory to Glory with Pastor Joe Pettick, an outreach of Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. If you would like to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, call now at 714-788-8221. That's 714-788-8221. We'd like to extend an invitation to visit us here at Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Our address is 16450 Pacific Coast Highway in Huntington Beach, California, 92649. We're located in Peter's Landing Marina in Huntington Harbor. Our service times are Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Now, may we continue to go to His throne of mercy as He changes us from glory to glory. Your throne of mercy. It's the sound of our singing praise. It's the sound of our.